0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, coach, and also your host. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today we have with us Yermila Gorna from London. This is so exciting. Welcome to the show. Yermila is a singer, songwriter, music producer, teacher, author. Did I miss anything? I suppose I do associate myself with playing the piano. (laughs) Pianist, I know I forgot one. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Yermila. It's so nice to have you finally. Thank you very
1: much for your um, lovely invitation. And yes, I'm so
0: happy to be here. absolutely. I'd love that. So let's just dive right in Tell us a little bit about, or a lot about, your background and how you got started in the arts. What was your education like? And then we'll transition later into all the hats you wear at at this <laughs> time today. I suppose I could consider myself one of those um,
1: more privileged souls who came to this world, into the family of My mother used to be a professional opera singer, and my father, although he worked as an electric engineer and a lecturer at the Polytechnics, he actually had a perfect pitch. And he was also quite skilled in music. He used to harmonize beautifully in our family gatherings. And plus, on both sides of the family, you had all these uncles and cousins and um, and aunties and great aunties who were actually very gifted, very often also professional musicians. So I guess I should say Boruch Hashem. I was born into such a family because I do believe that um, it is important to have the right start in life, formative years. And personally, I was sort of almost brought up in the, we call them side pockets in the country where I was born, in Poland. We call them pockets, well, it's a, a literal translation from English, at the stage of the Grand Opera House in Lodz, in Poland, where she used to work as an opera singer. So as a little girl, I would be placed in those, you know, those side entrances at the stage and observing the whole world of the opera and ballet and the orchestra. I do believe that it must have had some rather major influence on me, plus the fact that she actually used to work until about four hours or five, six hours before my birth on stage of the opera house. So I imagine that even in a prenatal embryonic stage, I was already influenced by all the multi-layered harmonies of the choir and the orchestra and everything that comes with the energy of being on stage. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I believe in that a lot. I'm into Beethoven and Mozart onto the belly (laughs) ever since the ears start developing and the hearing. Tell me more about your education. Did you start playing piano at a very young age?
1: I would imagine the best way of describing it is to say that I kind of breathed music like oxygen because it was all around us and all around me, all around our family. And uh, at a very early stage, as soon as I could reach the piano, as a four or five-year-old, I would, you know, mummy would accommodate me and obviously set it all up for me that I could start experimenting. And it resulted in uh, making up my first compositions at the age of five. And she was writing it all down for me, I remember. Um, And then she subsequently sent me, they both sent me to, uh, my parents, I mean, of blessed memory, uh, sent me to a music school we used to have, uh, and we still do, over there in Poland where I no longer live, specialist music schools where you could be professionally educated from an early age. So again, I was very privileged, and thank God for Hashem, I was sent to such a school uh, from the age of seven and then it continued for six years in the Primary School of Music and another six, the Secondary School of Music. And eventually that was followed by the Academy of Music for another four years where I got my Master's of Art degree. And that's in a nutshell how my uh, rather classical music education went, except for the college time, because I was actually on a jazz and popular music faculty. So I would be... Um, If you can at all educate people in jazz, uh, that was the intention of that uh, educational system at the Academy of Music, at the Jazz and Popular Music Faculty. (laughs) But Francesca, I must say that this is not enough. I mean, it's not enough to expose a, a child or a young person to just Mozart, Beethoven, as you've mentioned, Bach, Chopin, Brahms, which were all my favorite composers. But again, back to the family, I had such a vast sort of influences from all over from all sorts of directions my father for example had a great love for jazz and swing and so we would not just listen you know to bar beethoven at home but uh, swing orchestras and jazz and, and my much older sister uh was all into rock when i was uh, growing up so she would listen to carlos santana pink floyd and then eventually i would also uh, branch off to different uh, world and folk and ethnic um, music styles i guess i've always been searching so and i keep on searching so uh, that is a continuous journey I'm on.
0: <laughs> it is very, very difficult. A very tricky task. Tell us how you transitioned into. I know you had your professional and classical education, but how did you transition into adult life with music? How did that look like for you? Obviously, your mother being in the music industry, so that looked like something you can do as a career. Is that something that was you always knew you're going to do? And what was it like for you, choosing your career path? Well, I
1: do recall you asked whether it was a conscious or informed decision or whether to become a professional, legitimized musician. Well, it's never been a question for me. I mean... As I said, this was my oxygen. I Maybe as a little girl or then later on a teenager or a young adult, I wasn't really able to put my finger on it, exactly what it is in music that I'd like to do. But we were not specifying it or concretizing it, but it was just an obvious thing that this is, without giving it a shape or form, the world I'd like to be in. I, I think without thinking even, <laughs> without, you know what I mean? It's like an unconscious or, or super conscious perhaps uh, conviction. It's that feeling that you're almost, I don't want to sound uh, quirky or pretentious, but it's a sort of feeling that you're on a mission. You, This is where you belong. There's never been any questioning.
0: So
1: that, uh, I, that I totally relate to. Speculate and, and sort of think of what makes a better career. Is it to be an accountant or to be? But for some of us who feel there is a calling for us to serve that way, it's never been a conscious, intellectual, rational decision making process. It just
0: happened magically happens. So then, what was the trajectory? What's the plan to become a teacher, a professor, a performer? I just, just tried to explain that there wasn't much speculating that's gone
1: into it. We went uh, well. I personally went to the Academy of Music, Jazz and Popular Music Faculty and I've done my coursework, I've done my dissertation, I became a Master's of Arts degree, and then while in in a college, things were happening, you know, I formed a band, and I started playing with professional musicians, and then an offer presented itself to me as a leader of the band and my band to do a TV documentary on a subject of British ballads and American folk songs. All these things sort of started to happen, and then I eventually left three days um, after doing my final diploma recital for that degree I sort of left three days can you imagine I suddenly found myself in London and uh, over here it was such a shock I had to start building myself all over again while I was sort of almost starting to be an acclaimed specialist Uh, they called me on the radio a queen of folk singing I suddenly abandoned it all and I have um not that i've decided consciously but it just sort of happened that way that i found myself in london for a number of reasons it was my third visit i've had a family here and wanted to pursue my interest which is those folk um, british ballads and american folk songs and um, i'm giving you like a 20 years of a journey in a nutshell I quickly realized, well, maybe not so quickly, but I had to realize, I was forced to come to that realization that singing this sort of music that originated from this very country here, with my uh, rather non-English accent at the time, uh, it was just an equivalent of bringing um, uh, woods to um, the forest, as we say in Polish, or in English, they would say coals to Newcastle. And um, this then gave me um, a bit of a motivation to uh, uh, start to reshape myself, and, uh, and a period of search started, and I would just stop listening to music and searching for my own um, authentic note that my soul, my neshama, was sort of resonating on. It's a, it's a really, it's a long, long story, and I don't know how much of it you've already Uh, found out about but it was a a rather dramatic period where I would just stop buying um you used to buy cds in those days still I would stop buying cds for a few years I would um I would actually stop listening to my old cds I would live in the world of silence in my lovely little bubble and searching for a, a truly um my my own true authentic expression of my soul that coincided with an opportunity i was given by a proprietor of a venue who got an upright piano at a time and he was looking for someone to play uh, once every fortnight sort of um background kind of piano music in that venue but I somebody suggested to me, I turned up to my first gig, as we say, and uh, I started improvising and expressing these um, um, unspecified, unidentified vocal sounds. And this then grew to what became known as Transmagic Piano Sessions. And I've developed it into a Uh, multimedia performances and that has been going on for quite a few years there on uh, once a fortnightly basis and while I was living in a world of silence as I said at the same time I had that output to test all these um, experimental ideas and thoughts or um, the expressions of my inner depth, my you know, Shama, to actually test it in a real sort of stage-like performance setting, searching for that something that I was searching for. And eventually, it was a very as- aesthetic, almost an aesthetic uh, lifestyle. And um, I- I'm not sure if a lot of people can identify themselves with it because it is something very intimate and private. And uh, how many people do you know who just stop listening to music for uh, five, six years and just want to
0: know, what, want to hear what's, what's there? It actually makes a lot of sense. I, I know in the concept of yoga and meditation in general, There's this concept of quieting the mind and I think that's something you were expressing or practicing in a way that you shut out all the outside music because you probably had overload your entire life and then you created space for new extraordinary music to come out of you. I mean improvising sessions that were just every fourth night that sounds like a lot of Creativity to be exploding out of a person, and in a way it makes sense. You have to shut it all out for it to come out to create space for the new. So I I love that.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy that you it can resonate with me. I'm actually empathize a lot of the time people comment that oh it must be so miserable to live in the world of silence and and i say well contrary to that this is the time when i've discovered that it's not silent up here at all or or in here it's not at all silent it's just that it's uh, it's very noisy it's full of ideas it's even more it's more than more ideas than, than i've ever been but they are mine this time It's um, the closest I can get to what this uh, unidentified uh, magical entity called Neshama wants to... express itself as so it was not at all silent it was full of colorful sounds and these sounds found their way to my first as well as the second album but first and foremost of course the album called Hashgaha, which was uh, that's where they've all gone these ideas apart from playing live
0: on a fortnightly
1: basis
0: for a few years wow. so this is fascinating and i know you developed the gordon method i'd love to expand on that more can you please tell us and everyone who's listening about your teaching method that you've developed. The Gorner Method is um, a method of
1: teaching music which I have um, developed, first of all created as well as developed over the years of teaching here in uh, Stamford Hill. I don't know if anyone out there knows what Stamford Hill stands for in the world of Jewish religious um, circles. I would say uh, we could describe this district as predominantly Hasidish. And so most of my clients are girls, young girls, teenage girls, seminary girls, as well as adult ladies. I have a couple of boys, little boys, under the uh, age of farm, it's fun. Um who come to learn this intuitive, creative approach towards making music. And the way it started was by the community seeing me yeah. perform for the events, local events, and the phone just didn't stop ringing. As soon as the first or second performance uh, happened, with me just uh, playing for the Seminary Girls at one of those Sam um, annual um, shows uh, i was inundated with phone calls and everybody was more or less saying one sentence miss Gorna, can you teach me to play like you <laughs> and i had no idea how to teach it because i have taught myself you see i was classically trained and in the, in the academy of music they tried to to uh, educate me in um, singing jazz standards as I said before there's such a little provision I'd like to make if you can actually educate anyone in this amazing style called jazz but um, these sort of uh, piano styles that I was using uh, to accompany the girls um, and nobody really taught this to me um, they taught me Bach's fugues and Uh, Beethoven's sonatas and Chopin's nocturnes or nocturnes but to um, you know what I mean to play by ear with a bit of a flair and klezmerish sort of intuitive um, style well they don't really teach it in schools unless they started to but I, I taught myself so I had to go about basically the whole technical side of how do I convey it to people who are maybe not necessarily as um naturally gifted as I was, thank God, Kanana Hora. And uh is it possible to uh, to teach it to people who have, you know, there's obviously various different levels of natural predisposition towards music. There are those who are almost suffering of amusia, which is like um, complete anti-talent. And I worked with a few of those and still managed to achieve impressive results. And there's all sorts of, you know, colors of the rainbow or ranks of the ladder leading to geniuses and prodigies. So... You have to change the hats again and differentiate your method in teaching those different um, degrees of talent or lack of talent. But the main challenge was: um, can I ca- can can one teach? Can one teach it at all? And uh, with every next student, I would say that these girls really taught me how to become that Gorn method inventor and uh, tutor. And uh, it's producing marvelous, can I know horrible Hashem? I, it's very uncomfortable to have to say that about myself, but uh, yes, I, the method itself uh, produces amazing results. And I would say that over, uh, I would imagine, 20 years of me living in Stamford Hill and working with these girls and ladies, um, the map, the musical map of Stamford Hill has been uh, transformed. <laughs> They're very capable these days, my, my girls, within the Period of three to five years under my guidance, even the very little, the the, the ones who were who were not gifted so much, managed to achieve semi-professional competence and then take over by, you know, playing for shows themselves, writing their own chord chats, embellishing these melodies and chord chats with beautiful, creative piano arrangements, harmonizing, suggesting to the choir girls different um, paths, different harmonies. And it's uh, blossoming and flourishing.
0: Um, I'm I'm very proud. It's amazing. So I know you also produce music and you put out your own music. And I'm sure you still perform a lot. Do you perform a lot? I had a little break because I was
1: very involved in uh, sound engineering producing the second album, Aspaclaria, which was released, uh, you know, quite a chunk of time after the first album, Hashgaha. We had to wait 14 years for Aspaclaria to come out. And now I'm in the middle of producing the third album. So that means, I don't know if you can see it here in the mirror at all, the reflection of my um, environment, the monitors and and all my wonderful uh, toys underneath here. And this... Oh, and the beautiful telephone and my Neve preamp, but...
0: Yeah, no, that I can't see.
1: <laughs> you know, it did take an awful lot of time to have to uh, semi-master sound engineering. Obviously, to master that subject um, takes uh, several years. I don't have that sort of time, but to a point that we can produce our own albums here. So that means automatically that I was too involved in studio work to go out there and play. But now that the album is out and I'm doing quite a lot of uh, radio interviews and press interviews, mainly in Poland, as well as here in England, and thanks to you in America and thanks to The Rockin' Rabbit Scene and her call ha- Isha show, uh, we're starting to sprout out um, in different territories of the world. Yes, the time will come that we'll have to go on the road again and start playing live. And of course, this might bring you to the controversial question. of
0: Well, sure, I wasn't going to even ask, but you're welcome to tell me what that's like for you. Because your primary method of performing is playing and you said you have that singing in it as well, right? I mean, I listen to your music. It's primarily music and then there's sounds in there. It's not your classical songs. I don't write classical music anymore, but I could imagine
1: describing it as a sort of one-woman <laughs> setup where I sit in front of the full-size piano, um, either a keyboard or a grand piano. And on top of my piano, I have two MIDI keyboards, which are connected to the whole you know, uh, the whole wiring and setup to trigger certain sounds so when i play imagine i play a piece as a piano player and sing live to the microphone i also have three pedals to control with my feet it's it's a tremendously uh brain energy consuming project to coordinate all of that but these two midi keyboards underneath the keys of the one on the left i have these drone orchestral sounds which now and again i would sort of play an octave and sustain while i'm doing these big spacious spreads of vocalizing and improvisation supported by my piano live as i go and then that then morphs into a pre-arranged song from one of the albums where the other of those MIDI keyboards has some of those multi-layered, 12 layers, 14 layers, whatever it was recorded on the album, of my own harmonies being triggered by pressing one of the keys on that other MIDI keyboard. And so then I sort of play and sing to the voices that I trigger with this MIDI keyboard. And um, it's quite a a symphonic orchestral sound. I also have a a double bass player with me, sometimes a guitarist, sometimes a trumpet player. So, yes, and they are men. (laughs) And how on earth do you... Tell me, Francisca, how do you... How can you be a musician these days? Um, You know, not playing for the larger audience. And, I mean, I've noticed that you you too, put out music out there on uh, various platforms, uh, internet platforms, including YouTube, including your wonderfully angelic singing voice and guitar. And do you say it's only allowed to be watched by ladies and girls? Or it's an awfully awkward subject to tackle in, in this conversation. And I know that watching your other uh, Podcast and guests that I know you have been uh, all trying to answer that with
0: with your previous guests. I think every musician, female musician, should work with her rabbi to find her space and something she could live with. So, well, you must maybe give
1: me some telephone numbers and contact details those rabbis who Taka understand the position of a professional female musician and the demands, especially of the social media these days and all sorts of other outlets out there that put that kind of pressure on us. And you could see that um, and probably from my previous recordings, even though I put out um, video clips and not just uh, my live performances, but also actually video clips to my songs, it's always very, um, very snooze, as tznews as I can be. Uh, certainly the, the dress code, there's no compromise here at all. In fact, I would like to be that kind of an ambassador for women out there, Jewish, non-Jewish, m- women in general, to appreciate that if you look attractive and snooze at the same time, you you will automatically um, cause another uh, side of the, the gender to um, see primarily your depth and your soul rather than focusing on
0: bodily <laughs> um, attractiveness, to put it mildly. Right. Well, looking at you, you look marvelous with your whole setup and. You look like an artist. <laughs> it's a delight to be looking at you right now.
1: But you know what I meant to say. You could be an artist and you could look all very attractive, hopefully. Mr. But at the same time, send that message to the world that I want you to see first and foremost my soul. I don't want you to see my
0: body. I want you to see my soul depth. Yeah, absolutely. I went through the Jewish education system, and I've heard these speeches, and I know these speeches, and I believe it, obviously. Yeah, so speaking of religious standards and the complications it brings into our lives, I'd like to know a little bit more about your background. Did you grow up Orthodox?
1: Well, in Poland, no, nobody was... Um, Orthodox, uh, let alone admit that they were Jewish. (laughs) Over there, most of the time, people were Roman Catholic, predominantly. And I've come to uh, Yiddishkeit later on in my life, uh, in my late 20s or early 30s, and I visited Jerusalem and. Uh, hooked up with Asia Torah in the old city and having come back to London I continued my studies and it's never stopped ever since. So there's still plenty to learn. Don't get me wrong. But um, what, what what about um, yourself? I mean, in Russia, I, I I do recall that people were not allowed to do a bris for instance, under the communist regime, and they, they had it performed on them on the airport upon landing on the ho- in the holy land. This is how extreme it was in Russia, wasn't it?
0: So I've never heard those details, but absolutely during the communist regime, this was a religious lifestyle was not at all allowed?
1: Well, in Poland it was, but because it is a strongly Roman Catholic country, similar to Italy, I guess. Um, I live in the predominantly Anglican stroke atheist environment in terms of England, but in that very uh, secluded enclave of Stamford Hill where Yiddishkeit and Jewish life thrives. And so my existence as part of this community has definitely uh, tremendously influenced my conduct of behavior and my mentality and my, the depth of my spirituality and my commitment to it.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'd love to hear what are you planning next or what are you working on? What haven't you... Or do you feel like I'm happy with everything (laughs) I've done? I feel like I'm on track with what I've wanted to do and God should keep blessing me to continue doing what I love, which is an awesome answer. But I'm curious, is there anything else you're working on? (laughs) I am still catching up with the promotion of the second album,
1: Aspaclaria, because it was released in what we call a new music industry. Uh, While Hashgaha was still released 14 years prior to that, Hashgaha was released in what some people refer to as the old music industry. The difference, the primary difference between the two is that um, the new music industry expects you to do it all by yourself with giving you a lot of opportunities to output that music out there on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, YouTube, etc. But at the same time, it's sort of expected of you to become your own everything, right? Your own manageress, agent, um, of course, sound engineer and producer, that, that is all part of my joy. And I'm kind of in my element creating and recording and being very independent in that respect. But then to have to promote it all and give it to the world, not just put it on a shelf. Oh, Asperglass has been released, do what you want with it. No, you have to be actively, uh, it's an everyday challenge. You have to do all your social media, you have to post all these, you know, right? Everybody knows, you all know, you out there, my lovely listeners, uh, we all know what we're talking about. And I find that personally, so much pressure is sort of delaying my life in a way. Um, the being under pressure of having to post something about myself now and again because if you don't then the world very swiftly forgets you right Um, so I am still basically catching up with giving Asperchloria to the world and the album's been released a year and a half ago and I only just I could say over the last six months I've started to to really feel like the promotion is picking up doing radio interviews and press interviews um, releasing video clips so we do have a few projects for or another four video clips in Mr. Sham. It should, you know, happen, but. Aspaklaria will be wave goodbye when I feel that all these video clips are out there and more documentaries will be released on the Hashkofas in the album. I don't know if you've seen some of them. I've done one explaining the meaning of the word Aspaklaria and talking about the Talmudic quote about the different types of um, prophecy and what it means to be Aspaklaria Hameira and Aspaklaria She'ena um, so there's a lot of Hashkofas that have gone into this album. And I don't just want to put it on the shelf just yet. I want to give it all to the world, all these treasures of Yiddishkeit. And when I speak about it, for example, in Polish, for the Polish uh, radio or TV or media or press, there's another challenge that I'm facing. And that is, you know, I've learned it all in English, really. My Jewish education has been received uh, in the, in that mental thinking, English mental thinking and the vocabulary that I have learned it in was all English. Um, So then converting it into Polish, very often there's a danger that it will sound fanatically, um, overly fanatically religious, you know, and sort of on the verge of sounding like a radical Roman Catholicism. So I have to find ways of avoiding certain connotations that would you know, make the wrong, unintended impression uh, of connecting Yiddishkeit to uh, other religions in that respect. And in general, I must say that when I speak to the non-Jewish audiences, it also is a challenge not to sound with too many dogmatic religious um, uh, phrases or ways of thinking. So even in the English, uh, for the English audiences, I also have to make sure that it doesn't come across in a way I don't want it to come across, but rather in a way that is still actually quite relevant in the world of modern human being. So I want to speak about these ideas in a way that a modern, non-religious, but spiritually inclined person would be able to relate to. So these are all challenges. And that's why I'm still kind of catching up with promoting a Spokularia. But the album Ahava, my third album, is fully... Written, fully composed, is just waiting for a spare few hours a day, which I don't know whether and when is going to happen, but I would love to start tracking it and yes, give it to the world. And I have an ambition of releasing at least five albums in this lifetime, so plenty of work to do and non stop, non stop work. I work so hard, there's
0: just not enough hours in the day. Yeah. I identify with that. I relate to that. I believe you. Thank you so much, Yarmila, for coming onto the show and sharing your your journey with us. It's fascinating. It's so different. It's educational, it's very inspiring, and I think our listeners would agree with me here.
1: Well, thank you, Francisca, um, for giving me that opportunity and the platform to be self-indulgent in speak about me, myself, and I. I'm very appreciative, very grateful, and let me just return the compliment I think that you're doing. An amazingly big chunk of work out there yourself and a great contribution to religious world, Jewish religious world, and specifically Jewish women. Jewish religious and non-religious or semi-religious, anything in between, but Jewish women who want to express their souls in an artistic, creative way, considering all the restrictions of the haloha. So... Thank you very much. I think we are all pioneering, all your guests and yourself. We are all pioneering um, the path for the future generations to find a perfect balance and to shine our nashama to the world without compromising our
0: dignity and sinews. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks again for staying here until the very end. If you are listening on iTunes, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Also tell two or three friends to check out this podcast. This is a great time to be listening. If you have questions, feedback, comments, please do email me or reach out to me, franciscakaya at gmail.com. Reach out to me. I love connecting with you. I love hearing from you. I love improving on this podcast based on my feedback and connections with you. Again, make sure to join the Artpreneur Facebook community and the Francisco Show Facebook community for more updates, some challenges, lives, performances, etc. Also, I did start my coaching business and I am helping you artists, creatives, and musicians get started on your journey or improve on your journey. So definitely reach out. And now is the perfect time. We're stuck home anyway. We're thinking about the world. We're thinking about life we're thinking about big things. So maybe this is a sign from God to start working on why you're meant to be here in this world. Well, enough preaching. You know how to contact me. You know what to do. See you next time. This is Francisca and you've been listening to the Francisca Show podcast at JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast.